Great. Well, coming to Acts chapter 19 and 20 today, Paul, Paul's third missionary journey. should be really good to have a look at this. Let's just pray as we come to God's word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what the book of Acts tells us uh, about the early church. And we pray that you would guide us by your spirit as we, we study this book. Amen. Well, back in, I should get this right, 2010, uh, we got married and uh, we went on a honeymoon to the Cook Islands, uh, where our friends the Abiras are from. We went to the main island of Rarotonga and it was, it was, it's a beautiful spot. Uh, we stayed in a half-priced resort, which worked out pretty good and uh, looked out over the lagoon. I was worried about tsunamis the whole time because I've got anxiety, but uh, Mel told me it certainly wasn't a problem. And uh, we just had a great time on the Cook Islands. Something that really struck us uh, when we were there was when we would go on these tours and the presenters were talking about the place, they would keep saying, everything changed when the missionaries came. Isn't that right? When the missionaries came, things changed for this place. And as you go around on your moped or around, around the main island, there are so many Protestant Christian churches. The place is a Christian nation. And it was just so encouraging for us. We drove past their Bible college, past the churches. We went to church, couldn't understand it. But the singing was amazing. When the missionaries came, the natives were turned into Christian believers. When we're looking at the story of Ephesus today on Paul's third missionary journey, and we see how the missionaries came to Ephesus and things changed. Things changed when the gospel came to Ephesus. Let's pick it up from verse 8 and onwards. So Paul enters the synagogue, as was his custom, and he speaks boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. Some of them become obstinate and publicly malign the way. And so Paul leaves them and he goes next door, uh, sorry, not next door, but to a place called the Lecture Hall of Tyrannus. And then he's there for two years preaching. So we're told that all the Jews and the Greeks who lived in that province heard the word of the Lord. In verse 11, we see God backs up Paul's preaching with these extraordinary miracles, these amazing things that God was allowing him to do so that they would know that he was a messenger of God. So I've mentioned the big impact it's happened on the islands when the gospel came. But say so too in the book of Acts, when the gospel comes, people are transformed and they come to know the Lord. Friends, let us not forget the power of the gospel to transform cities, nations, individuals. Are we allowing God to work through us to transform us and the people around us? Next, I want to talk a little bit uh, about earlier on from verses 1 to 7, when Paul runs into the seven, sorry, 12 disciples of John. Have a look at verse 1. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, 
did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no, we've not even heard there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, in what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said that was a baptism of repentance. He told people to believe in the one coming after him, that is in Jesus. And then they were baptised into the name of Jesus and Paul places his hands on them and the Holy Spirit comes on them and they speak in tongues and they prophesy. Pretty cool little section there, isn't it? Now, in the book of Acts, when the gospel is breaking new ground, when it's going out into new areas of the world, these Pentecost-like experiences seem to happen again. On the day of Pentecost, the people spoke in tongues and they prophesied. And when the gospel breaks new ground into Ephesus, this happens again. Not that it's meant to be necessarily repeated by us when we go to a new city, but this is showing that God is testifying to his gospel, his mission reaching further and further into the world. It's a new work of God that was happening in this city. Do we believe that a new work of God is still possible in our day? This, this God, is, do we treat him like a mouse or like a God? You see, he's, he's, he's capable of performing new gospel works, isn't he? He's capable of bringing people of Griffith to faith, capable of converting the whole city. This new work of God in Ephesus, do we believe that a new work could happen in our midst? This church is going to need a new work of God over the coming months and years. You're going to need God to come in and move and powerfully show you the next direction for you. In our hearts, we need to remember that God does do a new work and his power can happen according to his will. Now next we want to talk about uh, this very strange thing from verses 13 to 16. So we see, verse 13, there are some Jews who go around driving out evil spirits and try to invoke the name of Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, who was a Jewish chief priest, they were doing this. But they didn't count on this particular evil spirit they came across, did they? One day, verse 15, the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know and I know about Paul, but who are you? And the man jumps on them, beats them up, strips them and sends them running naked and bleeding out of the house. Now, none of us like to be embarrassed, do we? But this is pretty embarrassing. These fellows who thought they were spiritual supermen come across the wrong demon and they're sent away completely embarrassed. Well, friends, we've got to believe that God is involved in all these things. You see, Ephesus was a place of great spiritual uh, things. And let me just pick this up here. It was a place of great spiritual warfare. There were evil spirits around. And so we shouldn't be surprised that these kind of things were happening. These guys in verse 13 to 16, they were fakes. 
They were trying to use Jesus' name in a fake way for their own fame. We need to be assured that we are doing ministry for the right reasons as well and not doing it for our own glory. Next thing we see is this amazing scene from verses 23 and onwards where the, um, the theatre is filled with a crazy, rioting crowd. Now, how did this begin? It's a, it's a bit like what happened in Philippi where was, there was that slave girl who was earning money for her owners and because she came under the gospel, she couldn't predict the future anymore, she lost the money for the owners. Here we see the problem is the idol-making industry in Philippi. There was a temple, a massive temple there called the Temple of Artemis and uh, it obviously made a lot of money for the people who made the idols of Artemis but as the gospel comes in people aren't buying these idols anymore, they're becoming Christians and so the tradies who made the idols are getting annoyed. We see there that they call together a trade union meeting and they say, you know, this fellow Paul, he's leading people astray from Artemis and people are becoming Christians. What are we going to do? And the mob is formed and they head into the theatre, which could have held 20,000 people. It's like being at a footy stadium in Australia, full of Ephesians who are screaming for Paul's blood. So we see in Paul's ministry, he faces opposition. He wanted to go in there and talk to them, but that wouldn't have ended well for him, would it? Let us uh, not be fooled. We will face opposition when we're bringing the gospel to people. So Paul moves on from Ephesus. And we see in chapter 20 in verses 1 to 6, his next step. He travels through the area of Macedonia, speaking to many people, many words of encouragement, and he arrives in Greece, where he stays for three months. The Jews make a plot about him, and so he decides to go in a different direction, back through Macedonia, accompanied by his ministry team, and he ends up in Troas. In Troas, Paul is preaching to a crowd of people late at night, because he really wanted to talk to them. And from verse 7 to 12, Paul's preaching, unfortunately, is so boring that a fellow falls asleep. And he falls out of the window and he dies. A young man named Eutychus. But once again, it's a reminder of the power of God that was working through Paul. He runs downstairs and he brings this guy back to life. The power of the gospel will bring people back to life and it brings us back to life as well. The power of the gospel will raise us just like it raised this young fellow Eutychus. Paul then moves on and he wants to move past Ephesus quickly as he's travelling in that region again. He's trying to get to Jerusalem but he does want to talk to the Ephesian elders one last time. Obviously, the elders of the church meant a lot to him. And so he wanted to catch them again. He sends for them and they meet him at a place called Miletus. Now, what we find here in this little section from chapter 20, verses 13 to 38, it's a wonderful section where Paul is 
encouraging and explaining to the Ephesian elders what his ministry was all about. Let's have a look at it. He says to them, verse 18, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you, from the first time I came into the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears. I was severely tested by the plots of the Jews. Verse 20, you know I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but I have taught you publicly and from house to house. Verse 21, I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. Paul's ministry involved his heart. It involved tears. It involved long hours. And it involved the word of God. Paul preached the word, he declared it, he shared it. He was all about the gospel, wasn't he? Have a look at verse 24. He considers his life worth nothing to him. If only he will finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus had given him, the task of testifying to the gospel of grace. See verse 25, he's preaching the kingdom to the people. Verse 27, he's proclaiming the whole will of God, preaching, proclaiming, testifying, declaring, sharing. Paul is giving us an example to follow for how to do Christian ministry. He was a model for the people that were around him and he's a model for us. In fact, he said to them, imitate me as I imitate Jesus Christ. So perhaps we may not be casting out demons necessarily or uh, running away from um, mobs of 20,000 people in a footy stadium. But Paul's ministry in Ephesus and particularly his discussion with the Ephesian elders here, it shows us a model to follow. What does Christian ministry looks like, look like? It looks like putting our heart and soul into God's work. So much so that we have tears of joy or tears of sadness, and it looks like basing our entire ministry on the word of God, declaring it, sharing it, preaching it, for it is this word that will save people. So the question then is, will we imitate this? Will we be faithful members of God's church and carry out the ministry preaching the word of God to those that come into our lives? Paul's given us a model, testifying, declaring, and caring about the ministry. Will we base our ministry on the word and do everything we can to share it with others? Paul's the model. Now, many of us will know our friend, Raylene Connor, who passed away a number of years ago now. At her funeral, I spoke on 1 Thessalonians when Paul talks about being a model for the Christ, other Christians. And I think that's what Raylene was like for us, wasn't she? She was a model of the Christian faith, a beautiful person, humble, gospel-centred, humble and loving. She was a model of a Christian for us. Well, friends, we can learn from her and we can also learn from Paul's model here in the book of Ephesus. How are we meant to carry out our service for the Lord? What does God want you to do with your life? 
How does he want you to serve him? Well, when it comes down to it, it's pretty simple. Look at the model. Sharing, declaring, testifying to the gospel of Jesus. That's all it's about. Uh, There's a reason that we have both a session and a committee of management. We expect the session to get on with the, the gospel work and the gospel preaching, but we also need a committee of management to help us serve. So there are lots of different ways we can serve in the church, whether you're sharing the word with someone or whether you're enabling someone else to share. It's all part of God's kingdom. You know, Paul himself even went around making tents so that he could earn money to support his gospel mission. So what's your role in God's church? And what will your ministry look like? How will you contribute to the kingdom? And when called upon to share the word, will you be courageous and step over that pain line and share it with someone? Friends, what is the the way true ministry should be done? It's about sharing the gospel with our gifts, where God's put us, telling people to turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. It's as simple as that. It's not complicated. Paul gives us the model, and you know who he was following? The Lord Jesus Christ. He says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Just one thing to equip us to do this as we close. There's been a really good book called The Trellis and the Vine, written by Colin Marshall and one of his friends. It talks about how we can actually carry out our work as Christians. He says that there's a vine and a trellis, and obviously the vine grows on the trellis. The vine needs the trellis to grow. He says the vine is the work of the gospel, and the trellis is the things that enable the work of the gospel. Now, which one are we going to be a part of? God wants his gospel vine to go out, and he will help it to go out. And we need people to be willing to help that gospel go out. But there's also a trellis that supports it. Things within the church that enable the gospel to go out. So what's your gift? And how will you be involved? And what will the content of your ministry look like? Will you be a vine worker, a preacher, or someone who supports that work? I commend that book to you, The Trellis and the Vine. It's written by Matthias Media, and you can... uh, buy it and have a read if you'd like to. We're thinking about the content of Paul's ministry in the book of Acts. Ours can be the same, perhaps without the crazy stuff, but as we preach and share the gospel, God will come alongside and do his work. Well, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the ministry of Paul and for what you did through him in the world. And we just pray, Lord, that you would guide us to see how we can serve you as well. Amen. Amen.